Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 234 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. We're at the end of what I will forever refer to as the November Sprint. Three episodes in three weeks after taking much of October off. I know there are shows out there who do this sort of thing all the time. And lordy, I have no idea how you do it because I am gassed. Uh, now, all of that said, I would be wearier from the sprint if it wasn't for the fact that the films we've had up for discussion haven't been so damn intriguing, and the guests hadn't been so much fun to sit down and talk with. I mean, I sit here and I crow about such joys in life, but really, that's why I started doing this show in the first place, to talk about great films and raise a class with people I like. So let's do more of that today, shall we? He's my neighbor. He's incredibly smart, and he's one of my favorite people to talk film with. Mike Lane is here. How are you, Mike Lane? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, he's my neighbor. Should be the sitcom that I'm, I star in. That would be great. <laughs> we just, like, run into each other on the corner of Midtown. I like it. Yeah. On episode 234, we will be discussing The Irishman. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side and learning more about Mike. This is Know Your Enemy. Mr. Lane first appeared on episode 106. We talked about Monuments Men. I genuinely thought that was going to be a good movie. Yeah, you know? or whatever. Was optimistic about it. Yeah, sure. So and it did not pan it, out. No, it was no. it was a bit. Uh, we learned good. that the first films Mike saw in a theater it was a triple feature at a drive-in of the Muppet movie Arthur and E.T. The last film he'd seen at the time was Soldier of Orange. The worst film he's ever seen is Glenn or Glenda. The unseen classic or essential at the time was On the Waterfront. Mike has not seen it. That's and the true. film he wished he made was Synecdoche, New York, or okay. The Fountain. Then we did round two on Mike's third appearance. On episode 211, we talked about Roma. We learned the film that everybody else hates that he digs is the 1989 version of The Punisher. The film everybody else (laughs) likes that he doesn't is Jurassic Park. The last (laughs) movie to make him cry was Synecdoche, New York. The movie of his life, he'd be played by Seth Rogen. And the movie he was watching, yeah, the movie he was watching next uh, was The House That Jack Built, the Lars Von Trier, seldom seldom screened uh, movie from a few years ago. It was not good. Okay. Then his third round of questions on his second appearance on episode 168, we talked about Kubo and the Two Strings. It's a brain teaser. Right. The movie that made his love of film turn a corner is Pulp Fiction. His first date movie at the tender age of 10 was the animated version of Peter Pan. His sick day movie is Men at Work. The last movie to leave him speechless was The Matrix. And his epitaph would be from Caddyshack. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. <laughs> That's terrible. That's right. All right. I didn't know about that question oh, yeah. at the time. It's all documented. <laughs> time for round four. Michael, what is the film you really dig but you never want to watch again? You know what? It sucks, but I don't have an answer for that. I kind of will willingly watch anything, even if it's the the most intense thing, if I liked it. Like if I was kind of making the decision that I would never, ever see it again, it, it truly would be because it was uh, kind of useless <laughs> to me or just something that I thought was okay. Right. But if I'm saying like I dug it, I kind of would like – Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I dug it. I've watched it a few times. Irreversible. I have no problem watching that again. I'll, I'll say that at a certain point, I thought that Train Spotting hmm. was one of those movies because for some reason there was a few years where all I could remember from Train Spotting was like the upside down baby on the ceiling and be yeah. like, that movie's a bummer, man. I don't want to watch that. 
Um, but, you know, then you stumble into a room and it's on and you're like, oh, I, I completely forgot. Like 99% of this movie is like joyous bouncing off the walls. I'm only <laughs> remembering the 1%. Um, so that's one instance where I think I thought that it's something that I wouldn't want to go back to because I thought it was more grim. But even that now I'm like, no, no, even if it makes me feel grim, like I'm, I'm happy to dip into it. Because you know what, it, it might also be because as someone that makes movies like I find maybe I'm looking at it more from a, a how did they do this kind of perspective whereas if I was just watching it for entertainment like yes you, you don't watch Irreversible a second time to be entertained but okay. you would watch it to be well, like I mean, how did they construct it so that I felt the way that I did at the moment that I did and that's why I might be watching okay. it a second time but. Um, that hasn't yet come up as an answer on this show in terms of watching it for, for purposes of study or watching it for purposes of, of mm. um, you know, examination. Um, which, and, and that's the thing. I, I, I totally believe that that's valid and, and it's kind of the thing of, all right, this was, you know, the, the, the way that this question is designed is this film was deeply, deeply affecting, you know, in, in whatever way, like whether, whether, so whether you wouldn't was, want to touch it again because well, I don't know. And that's why, and that's why oh, I asked, like, okay. for, for because instance, maybe, it's some, maybe it is something that has bad memories. Maybe it is something that somebody thinks I'm not going to laugh at that okay. way at that movie again, or I'm not ever going to be that, like that repulsed me so much. I respect it, but I can't do it. But at the same time, nobody's ever come and said, you know, yeah. yeah, it was unpleasant. It's not something I would do willingly, but I would still do it in the interest of science. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. Like, you know, because movies are a way to experience emotions. And so many times, uh, most movies fail at that. That when you can find one where it's like, well, that at least elicited the emotion of, you know, outright panic from me. It's like, all right, well, let's go see what that had to do. Um, Geez, do I have anything that has like a really traumatic? Well, no, actually, memory? I, I like that answer. That there is like you're the first person to answer that. Yeah. that there's none. That no, you that's cool. But now I'm thinking about traumatic memories. It's uh, like, what do I got? I don't know that I have anything. So all right, no, let, let's on. stick with none. You know, <laughs> 234 shows, and you're the first person to go. No, I'm good. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on. Then, what is a movie that, for any rhyme or reason, genuinely freaks you out? Annoyingly, this was another one that I had a bit of problems with because I I read it as freak you out like scary movie wise, sure. and I never saw a lot of scary movies when I was a kid because I was really kind of sheltered. I would always just hear the details yeah, from kids yeah, yeah, in the yeah. schoolyard. But the story I got is from the one movie that this truly did freak me out, upset me for years, got okay. under my skin. But it is not a movie that I ever saw. Oh, I was like. Five years old and saw uh, either on a VHS recording of late night television or I just happened to be up too late for some reason and saw 30 seconds of television that was a commercial for a movie that for years I never heard of again didn't know it existed. The gift of the internet honestly was, oh, there's this device that I can go onto and find out information. I am going to find out what that thing was that traumatized me. <laughs> um, it was a movie called The Clairvoyant. Um, Anchor Bay released it on like one of their widescreen VHSs back in the late 90s called, I think, The Killing Hour or The Killing Hands or something. But the thing about this movie, The Clairvoyant, is I remember like water and I remember a boat. And I remember the narrator, the voiceover guy saying, if she sees you, you're dead. <laughs> now, it's called the clairvoyant. I realize now what they're saying is if she has a vision, you're either going to die or maybe you already are dead. Maybe it's a sixth sense kind of thing. But when I was five years old, if she sees you and you're like, then you're dead. Like that brought to mind more of a Medusa hair of snakes oh, kind of thing. And it's okay, like, wait okay, a second. Okay. If, 
If I can die just because someone looks at me, there is no way to prevent that. I can't stop someone just from looking at me. And that sent me into this spiral of being terrified of like completely um, inescapable death. That freaked me out, but it's a movie I never saw. And in fact, it took about 15 years for me to positively identify it. I still haven't seen it. I'm sure it's not scary. I will no, watch it. No, but I, I like but, that idea that the that even just kind of the the specter of a movie can can mess you up like i remember when yeah. when i was young um there used to be a uh, a video store come with me children to a magical time um oh. at the top of our street like i had to cross the street in front of this video oh, store that means to, danger well no no, no. was rewarded with well, movies. Well, here's the thing so i like i would cross the street but the window for the for the video store would be filled with posters and I, there was like either six yeah. or eight posters in this thing and they could put up whatever the heck posters they wanted it was a little independent video store so sometimes these posters would be really kind of messed up and i'm like i don't know yeah, what that is but i want garish. nothing to do with yeah. it like one of the ones that i remember that they had in there for the longest time was the serpent and the rainbow uh, yeah. which just it's 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 nothing like especially frightening it's that really pale face it looks like they're being put into a coffin yeah. the eyes are red i'm like ah yeah. I, I, you know little me wanted nothing to do with whatever the serpent oh, was yeah. i didn't want to see the rainbow <laughs> like that, that's not gonna be enough. those horror movie sections it's, in video stores were terrifying yeah yeah i mean like just images out of context you know which i, I you know that's one of those things that we're moving away from is you know snippets with no full like unless you're like in and out of a room or you happen to see something over somebody's mm. shoulder the the idea that just the, the the concept can really burrow into your brain uh okay moving to the lighter side what is a film that always makes you laugh which i also thought was yeah it's a tricky question because humor is so much like surprise and shock but if it's something you watch a lot then it loses the surprise and the shock the laughter almost becomes more like a I like these characters. I'm going along with like, you know, you, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean like big Lebowski, I think is an incredibly funny movie and I do still <laughs> laugh out loud at that right. one, but, um, tape heads, oh, man. tape heads with John Cusack and Tim Robbins is a deep personal favorite of mine. I kind of throw it on about every six months at least. And that is a movie that I can still laugh at. Although the thing is, it's like, even in its time, it was kind of poo-pooed for being um, way too hip, way too smart, like like hipster smart-ass comedy. Right. And so it's still like, this probably doesn't age very well at all, <laughs> at, all, at all. But because I return to it so much and also because like I feel a lot of my life feels a lot like this Tapeheads movie. But, but yeah, like I, I am now just watching like interaction between these characters and, and it brings me such joy um, to always revisit it. Um, Tell people about this opus because I, I feel like it, it's a movie, I, like I know what it is, I've seen it, but I feel mm. like it's a movie that a lot of people don't even know about, even though the fact that it's got like two incredibly huge stars yeah. before they were big at, at, at its forefront. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and actually, you know what, because uh, uh, it sucks, this was also going to be my answer for your like next question in a couple, which was what's a movie you love? Okay, so no okay, so we're double of. dipping. This is the um, film that yeah, always yeah. makes Mike laugh, um, and and it turns out seemingly nobody has heard of. Yeah, because I would also because I you, like you mentioned earlier, like I love Synecdoche, New York. That's yeah. a movie that ninety nine percent of people don't recognize when I say it right. to them. So that becomes my 
other answer. But yeah, so tape heads, it was like uh, 1988, I believe. It was a very low-budget indie movie. The story I heard was that it actually didn't make much of a dent because when it was about to come out, uh, Robbins and Cusack went on a publicity tour and in particular showed up either at the Today Show or um, Good Morning America. And... um, uh, were I guess tremendously rude or or not promoting the movie and and it was quite disastrous and supposedly that's why it didn't get much of a push but it was a very low budget indie American movie like, like pre sex lies and videotape like it would not have been seen no very I think much. this thing didn't get much like much exposure yeah. because no. it's that kind yeah of movie. so it's become a movie that I think people either found on a video store shelf or at a cable TV or something like you told them about yeah so uh, uh, it follows those two guys and they basically decide to become music video directors, music video mavens, or, um, yeah, uh, because of how terrible the music industry is at the time. So it's all like very 1988 hair metal glam videos, uh, uh, Devo did some music for it. Um, but it follows these guys, these, these nobodies who maybe are probably talentless, but as they manage to succeed through complete failure, like all the way up, um, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lovely movie. And it was produced by Mike Nesmith, who was one of the monkeys. Yes. And so Mike Nesmith, I think, uh, might be related to to more movies that, that have a really deep impact on me than anybody else because <laughs> of tape heads. He also produced Repo Man about three or four years prior right, to that, right. um, which is exceptional. And um, was in the monkeys movie um, Head. Head, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Bob Rafelson. So so anyway. Well, he was um, he was one of the big guys with um, was it BBS? Was yes. The, you know that did like oh for Rafelson. Yeah, yeah. Did like Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces and those kinds of yeah. movies. So like he, it's it's crazy because after the monkeys, he actually did quite a bit of stuff. There was a big reason why he was the monkey who you never saw. Yeah. Like at, like you like show up on a TV show or something. Um, um, yeah. Tapeheads. All the music is Fishbone as well. So you know, you're, you're well, not going for you. Fish, well, Fishbone does one. Fishbone shows up on screen actually right. and plays a song. But they're the the ones, soundtrack is incredible. But they're the one. They're like they're they're credited the as the yeah yeah swanky modes. Yeah, um, so which I mean I think I'm gonna have to end this show with swanky. Oh, modes. the swanky modes are so great. Just the other day I was saying like everybody loves Menudo, <laughs> but the thing is I can say that to people and then they're like, what are you talking about? And like oh oh yeah right. Uh, you haven't seen sorry. It. Um, but that's and the then I have to explain who Menudo is like. <laughs> But that's that like when you get when you get a smile or a laugh, then it's like, oh, you're my people. Yeah, you know. Okay, that's that, no, that's a good answer uh, for that. Uh, for sure. uh, so now that we've taken tape heads off the board because it's yeah. the answer to two of your questions, I'm not going to allow you to make it the answer for three. What is your favorite movie soundtrack? And you know, I was like totally a soundtrack kid, like not a scores kid, oh, but like I, soundtracks is I all I ever listened to. Yeah, yeah, yeah? yeah. So like my first album purchase was the soundtrack for Dragnet, the Tom Hanks. Oh. Da- I know, oh. and it was only I think three ninety nine, but I was like eight years old, and I don't know, I don't have three ninety nine. It was a big purchase, and it was all for like the track where Aykroyd and Hanks are rapping, like. <laughs> It got some use, but like that's a deep embarrassment. My first CD or sorry, cassette purchase was the soundtrack for License to Drive. Um, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, and it had uh, Billy Ocean's Get Out, get of, out of My, my Dreams, Get yeah, Into My yeah, Car, yeah, yeah. which is a great song, especially now. And um, first CD was Wayne's World. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, I would say that um, my favorite, the one that uh, I, I 
has always just been a, a constant carrying companion and and was like so huge in its time as well um the pulp fiction soundtrack i feel like that's kind of a microcosm for quentin uh is is his ability to pull together a good soundtrack of some stuff that you've heard before some stuff that you haven't heard at all um oh certainly like that was a, a huge sign like and that was the thing like at the yeah. time nobody was taking the older songs and assigning them new um cachet right like, no no i mean and his thing also is like when he does assign a new cachet as you say like it's kind of a radically different thing than you expect like you know any you know I, i'm not gonna think of a good example right now or an well, actual that, example but I it's mean, like anyone can take a certain song and use it like super literally but you know he'll take that happy song and use it in the background of a messed up scene and now all of a sudden it's got a completely different thing like that i mean the was, other thing uh, that was good about that strength. movie was that was the movie where like that movie to this day is really timeless aside from the fact that vinnie uses a cell phone which is very much a 1994 cell phone most of the most of the tech is all old the cars are all old it's obviously like it, it's not of the era like they're, they're you know you're not watching people who would use a reel to reel but it's it, also clearly not being of 1994. Yeah, well so, yeah it was that 70s nostalgia yeah, vibe so, so which the had the, the soundtrack had that going on as well like you know you had the um, the Neil Diamond song sung by Urge Overkill, mm-hmm. which was probably still their biggest hit. Yeah, um, and frankly, it's probably the weakest song on that disc. I would say the one that well, because it's the cover. Because it's the cover. But, I mean, yeah, it, but it, it was the single, and and you know everything else that was on it was the original version, an old version. You got Chuck Berry on there. Yeah. You got all these surfing guitar move songs, and they're all used. I mean, a lot of them are used as score, and a lot of them, like you say, were used out of. Out of context, yeah. in, a, in a more yeah. violent way. He didn't use score until what the second half of Kill Bill or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's incredible. And also, like, it had been a long time since a soundtrack was a must-buy kind oh, of yeah. thing. Like, uh, you know, they always used to say, you know, you've walked out of the movie theater and walked into the record store to get the soundtrack for, say, Saturday Night Fever, uh, like one of those albums everybody yeah, had. Yeah. Like, Pulp Fiction was kind of that one, or at least kicked off a new wave of cool soundtracks with cool songs on it and also were taking clips from the movie yeah, and throwing was, them in because of the eloquent yeah, dialogue. Okay. Whereas prior to that, I think you only had maybe the Apocalypse Now soundtrack, which had bits of the movie, but that's so yeah. weird to listen to. I don't think an anybody, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody has actually brought up the Pulp Fiction soundtrack in huh. however many times of doing this round of questions. So good call. Nice. And, uh, we are going to move on. That's lots about Mike. We'll learn. It's too we'll, much. We'll, we'll have him cheat some more questions when we bring him back for a fifth round. But now we are going to talk about a new film that is showing up on Netflix in a few weeks and is in a very small amount of theaters right now. It's time to go Scorsese, people. We're going to talk about The Irishman right after this. Irishman is directed by Martin Scorsese. It's written by Steve Zalian. It stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, 
Ray Romano, Bobby Cannavale, and many, many other people for a few minutes. The titular Irishman is Frank Sheeran, that's Robert De Niro, whom we meet in a nursing home where he tells us the story of his life. Frank is a World War II veteran who is making his way as a delivery truck driver. One day, when his truck breaks down, he meets Russell Buffalino, that's Joe Pesci. The two have a quick connection, but go their separate ways. It's not until Frank is picked up for selling steaks off the back of his truck that their orbits overlap for good. That brings him to attorney Bill Buffalino, that's Ray Romano, who likes the cut of Frank's jib and introduces him proper to his cousin Russ. Russ likewise likes the way Frank goes about working for him and eventually introduces him to James Hoffa, that's Al Pacino. Hoffa loves the Irishman and comes to rely upon him as a man Friday, a trusted bit of muscle, and a close counsel. So begins the ups and downs of 15 years in the life of Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sheeran. Michael, you and I had the privilege in our experience of this film that many will not. You and I got to see it in a theater on a very, very big screen. It seems strange to say this, but in 2019, the world is getting a new Scorsese film and very few theaters will actually be showing it. So pop quiz, Hotshot. What does a theatrical audience of this movie get that a home audience will not? I do think that seeing a movie together as a communal experience is just its own thing, right? So, so it so becomes go, this okay, like, so oh, what a, what, a special, what a special evening. We're sure. all getting up. But We're going 20, out to see a three and a half hour, 345. How three, long was that? It does not feel that long. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, anyway. But... Uh, uh, because I don't know, it, it's like, I guess I want to give excuses for why people should come out to see it in the theater because of course, but then it's also like, well, you should have seen hours. Roma in the theater because the compositions kind of demanded it. I can't necessarily say that for the Irishman. Um, it is three hours and sorry, three and three hours and 29, three and 29. It's like, so for most people might not be into the marathon length, might prefer to do it in it. Like there, there does seem to be perhaps things lining up like even the vhs days right you had a separate vhs yeah. tape to like i'm gonna go to the bathroom now before yeah. i see how casino ends um going to the theater for this movie means like zip it up but uh, uh i didn't drink anything after 2 p.m <laughs> <laughs> i had a i had a one liter bottle of coke oh i was just chugging goodness. it the whole way um <laughs> okay but now how what like your was your screening full ish like was it yes. a communal experience it was yeah no it was it was pretty full and it was uh like noon on a friday afternoon so quite surprising to be so full um uh yeah and it did feel uh communal you know you'd hear people uh, uh titter and laugh in response to certain things um i didn't notice a lot of people you know getting up and getting out or, or hitting you, you know you can often tell when a movie hits a spot that is either boring people or perhaps their bladder is just giving out because right, then they get right. up and leave and and i don't remember noticing any moments where it's like oh clearly people are a bit disinterested and their bladders winning out and everyone's kind of scurrying out for this scene so they must have been invested or engrossed um i mean of course like it's it's a big movie and it's showy and it's got great sound and the you know he knows how to shoot a movie he knows how to grab you by the throat and just pull you along through yeah. the story and if you're watching it at home like you watch anything at home you're gonna kind of be distracted you're gonna kind of be in your room and it's like this is a guy you want to just give your your eyes and heart and brain over to for I mean, the three and a half is, hours that that would be my my answer to my own question is what it gains on a big screen that it, you do not get at home is encapsulation like mm. you're you're in the dark room you're surrounded by people presumably you're not gonna get up and down 
often, if ever, because you're going to draw attention to yourself and be a distraction. <laughs> yes, if social embarrassment doesn't keep you from wetting your pants. Well, seriously, like, I mean, unless, you know, the room that you and I both saw it in actually does have some easy outs, especially if you're in, there, there's a front row that you can get in and out of so mm. easily that I kind of love. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you're still calling attention to yourself as that person who's walking left to right. Um, <laughs> Never. It's, you know, the, 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 the theatrical experience of this movie like just pins you in place, you know, whether, yeah. like, whether like by, by voluntarily or just <laughs> or by pure submission, you are, you are in it. You know, you are not, you are going to feel everything for good and for bad yeah. for, for three hours and 30 minutes. And you won't get that like at home. Uh, I dare say it would feel more episodic. It would not feel as one, encapsulated moment as mm. short or as long as it felt because you would come and go your phone would light up mm. you'd have to stop to let them pay the pizza guy whatever it would feel more broken whereas this feels something singular mm. you know along with the fact that like you said it is very big it is very handsome it is very beautifully crafted so to experience that full bore the way it's meant to Mm -hmm. um, is something special and something that, especially like we were talking off mic, that not a lot of screens are going to have this. Mm -hmm. Like an, an incredibly small amount of screens in North America are going to have this. So I, I think it's kind of, you know, in, in being the kind of elitist film nerd, it's kind of a little secret handshake of, well, I got to see it on the screen, you know? Yeah, and you know when I, I wonder how much Netflix is counting on that or if they really didn't, think or consider that at all because um as we were saying in our little break there uh, um, uh supposedly according to a hollywood reporter story i think it was um had they agreed to a six-week window before irishman was on netflix uh then some of the larger chains in the states like amc would have gladly shown the movie because it is a scorsese movie and even with its length like people want to see it there is the opportunity to make money but the theaters were insisting on that six-week window, uh, which I think is still a, a drastic lowering of their normal window, but I don't know yeah. nowadays because everything's going to move so fast anyway. But Netflix did not want to do it and wanted to stick to the three weeks. So um, does it work out better for them then to have a small elite group of handshake fans who can feel great about the fact that they happened to see The Irishman and no one else did? Um I wonder. I don't know. I, like it's it's going to be interesting going forward. Like it, it kind of harkens back to back in the day when people used to talk about, well, I drove for two hours to see this on seventy millimeter, or I drove yeah, for yeah. an hour and a half to see it on Cinerama, or or in in, in Dolby or whatever the heck it happened to be. Sucked. And, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, no, they were. It was on the one hand, it is pretty dickish. On the other hand, it, it's kind of it, it's kind of you know it, we go through it with film festivals yeah. of who you saw and how you saw it, and it oh this one played with an orchestra in front of it or yeah. it had mine. Oh yeah, no, I know that's um, incredible. Uh, yeah, okay, we, we we haven't actually talked about it. What did you What did you make of the Irishman? Uh, no, I I mean I enjoyed it. I uh, uh, as I mentioned just very briefly, I, I didn't notice the length mm -hmm. for one. So uh, so I guess that means it uh, it had its hold on me. I mean I didn't feel any. Um, grand swell of anything uh, right at the conclusion. So, you know, I, I, I can't say that I watched it and I think like, this is one of Marty's best. Right. Um, it was very good. Like, right. yeah, no, it was, it was, it was great. Even uh, I wasn't so into Pacino yeah. 
Pacino does tend to sometimes uh, get a bit too big well, he, for my he taste. Is, he, is cart- he is cartoony, but I felt He's like a, yeah. I felt like he was he was kept on a tighter leash than he usually is. You know, like he really has a tendency to go full Pacino, and I I, I got a lot Maybe, of yeah. I got a lot of moments where he came right he up was to line half and Marty's in, like half that. It's okay. You, it's, you know, could be true. He yeah. was doing like a half and half yeah. kind of thing. Uh, in this movie, Pacino is yes, like half Pacino, like she got a big ass, like like big, big, big Pacino, and then out of nowhere, one or two words will be given that heavy Hoffa Chicago inflection. She got a big ass. Now let's just go over there, and you're like, this, what? It's <laughs> there's there was a Nick Cage movie that played at TIFF this year, uh, The Color Out of Space. Kind of a similar thing. You've got Nick Cage being Nick Cage, and then every couple of lines, he'll get really New England accent. And you're just like, where did that come from? I was feeling that with the Pacino thing. It was kind of just... Yeah. So that, and, and I mean, Pacino is Pacino is a really, really big part of this movie. Like he, it, 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 it it's. I, I don't think there's a scene that passes by that doesn't have Pacino or De Niro in it. Like hmm. they, they really are the two, from about the half. Yeah, from the, let's the, say the halfway point, maybe. Yeah, or, the, the, yeah. the two heavies of this movie. Um, this movie is too damn long. Not so way. Okay. Yeah. This. This. This is what happens when you give Marty Scorsese. Full autonomy. I know there, you've been anticipating is, this. Uh, no, well, or no, not anticipating. You were worried. You were I, yeah, worried this would I, be the case I, for you. And to be fair, I wanted to be wrong. I wanted to know in my head that Scorsese has mellowed in his time in Hollywood. That the last fifteen, or the last twenty years, have taught him that as long as he wants to make his movies, maybe it's better if he just somebody tells him, dial this back, dial this back, dial this back. Whether it's a producer, his editor his studio, whatever, right? That that every time he's wanted to include more, 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 that somebody has convinced him, go a little less and you're still going to end up with something amazing. No, no, no. Scorsese is convinced that everybody who told him no did not know well. And, to, and remind yourself that a lot of the movies that he's turned in over the last 20 years have still been very long. Gangs in New York is long. Silence is long as hell Mm. wolf of wall street doesn't feel it but it is also really really long same thing with this movie this movie netflix wasn't going to tell him shit because netflix doesn't give a crap about the screens they're like second somebody hits start we get our money you know they don't need to finish it they also you depend on the binge watching right so really if it's like if someone's splitting up a three-hour movie over four viewings who cares pick your producer who's not going to tell you no and just give us what you give us. And you give us a 209-minute movie that is way too long every single turn. It is... So you, you were feeling it on a scene-by-scene oh basis? My, or was I, it like like this is this scene is going on too long? Or was it at a certain point where you're just like, I kind of don't care. Why aren't we moving forward? No, I never, I never didn't care. I don't want to okay. say it that way. I, I never... I, I, I was invested in this story... And the characters in this story, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it, there's a lot of times where I was feeling dragged from point to point to point. And sometimes we're introduced to people who just kind of come and go. Sometimes we're taking a really long time with the actual mechanics of union crime. Sometimes, you know, like a, a relationship mm-hmm. needs to play out over the course of 35 minutes versus 20 minutes. And, and you know, I, I understood quite clearly that Hoffa and um, 
Provenzano did not like each other. And just on a fundamental level, I, I, I got that pretty clearly. But we need to go at it again and go at it again and go at it. And every one of them could have been either tighter or just not there. Hmm. And that for me was the difference of this movie in a theater versus at home, because at home I, I probably would have got up and moved, but in a theater I was stuck there. And hmm, I, okay. I, I, what, what I was told going into it was like you said, you don't feel the length. I'm like, bullshit. Hmm. I was watch checking after an hour. Really? Yeah. Okay. And, and to be fair, I'm not a person who's ever afraid of length. Two of my favorite movie going experiences ever. We're seeing the full Carlos, Olivier, <laughs> Olivier Essayas' yeah, yeah. Carlos, five hours, you know, one whole hour with the OPEC hostage yeah, yeah. crisis. That was incredible. Sitting through that for five hours. Ah, oh, I loved it. And four hours and 20 minutes of Che. Yes, that was. You know, with an intermission by Steven Soderbergh. Loved him. And would have, and, and, and if this movie was. We're going to, you know, we're going to take this era of American underworld history and really get into it. All right, cool. Let's do this. Three hours and 29 minutes. Let's go. But it's everything just drags and drags and drags right down. I mean, shit, without giving too much away, right down to the killing of Jimmy Hoffa. Okay. Hmm. From the minute Jimmy Hoffa arrives. Well, yeah, that's definitely. From the minute Jimmy Hoffa arrives in this movie, we all know he's going to die. And we all know that his death is going to be something to do with this movie because we were saying before the show we still don't know how jimmy hoffa died or where he is right like we, we, we all yeah, assume that he, no we all assume that it was answer. that it was the underworld who, who took him out but you know for all we know he tripped right. um, yeah but yeah like they they their longest time they were saying he was uh buried under a stadium yeah yeah uh, um yeah. even that even the moment that we're we were led to believe that jimmy hoffa's mm. time is up until the point where Jimmy Hoffa's time literally is yeah. up takes a long ass well, time. And I'm like, come on, you've, you've just gotten us to the inevitable. Like, yeah. You know, rip the damn bandaid off. Yeah. Um, they, uh, if you notice, there's a no music at all during that entire yeah. sequence. So that, that was definitely the intent to like slow everything down to its mundane minutia for this long yeah, or yeah. not this dragged out um, moment. Um, but I guess also because like this theory of what happened is kind of really being presented here uh, uh, to say the first time makes that sound like some sort of selling point, but, but it kind of is yeah. like prior to that, people just didn't know the, um, the, the 92 movie Hoffa has another um, theory, not, <laughs> not a theory. It's more of a, you know, David Mamet, like dramatic playwright okay. kind of thing, but, um, it has its own, yeah, its own like theory of what happened. And, and that's quite memorable when you see it. Um, and you didn't know much about Jimmy Hoffa or, or any of this sort of thing. Cause I the thing that, is, I knew, I, he, I knew that he headed up the teamsters. I knew that he was, I, I knew that he was like deep into the weeds with, with okay. JFK and RFK. And I knew that he was presumably killed and that his body was never recovered. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, so you, like, you had a bare to, idea. Not, like, I mean, the, the cool, the cool thing is, not to jump too far ahead, but one of the things I was going to bring up is this movie really wants to drill into our heads that legacies are bound to be forgotten, right? Mm. Like, 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 and I mean, and that's the thing is it comes up late in this movie where uh, Frank is showing a picture of his daughter to a nurse at this nursing home. And he's like, look at this one. And she looks, she's like, oh yeah, that's cute. Mm. And he says, do you know who that is next to her? And she's like, no, I don't recognize him. And it, it you mm -hmm. know, it's a picture of her next to Hoffa. But that's, 
that's the world, mm-hmm. right? Is as much as we're here, as much as Scorsese is is an adjective and a verb right now in terms of us having this conversation, in 50 years, he's going to be a harder pull from people who are watching films because they, they, they might not, they certainly won't know what he looks like mm. and they might not necessarily recognize the name as readily as we do, mm. right? All of these icons, whether they're icons on a macro scale or a micro scale, are eventually bound to be, oh, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I did like that this movie had that in its in its crosshairs. It's again one of those things that I I feel like its length betrays. No, this, definitely. One of this movie's theories is every mobster that's living high on the horse for a generation is eventually just going to be that withered old guy. Yeah, in a retirement home kind yeah. of thing. And it was nice because, you know, obviously Scorsese has done a lot of other gangster pictures. Um, this does feel, and I'm sure it is, like it's kind of the first time that he's taken it all the way through to the natural end of a life cycle too. Like, well, let's follow, you know, someone who didn't die and, you know, maybe got out, maybe kind of didn't, but is now still in a retirement home watching all these other old gangsters die around him um, to take it to that point instead of just being like, and then he got killed in a hail of bullets. Like it's allowing that extra moment for a more mature reflection. Well, he has a scene with a priest and stuff like that. Um, Although I also think that that moment is kind of revealing that he doesn't seem to have anything inside. That moment is he also, is an empty is also, character, I found. And I never thought the, I would say this in my life. That scene is cribbed from The Godfather 3. Um, was it really? Nothing has ever been cribbed from The Godfather 3. <laughs> at all. Ever. I completely Unless wiped it was like that movie yeah. from my memory. But, but the, you know, one, one of the few emotional heartbeats in Godfather 3 is Michael Corleone confessing, oh, confessing? to, to sure. the killing of his brother to a priest. Yeah. Right. But, and, and actually gives full confession. So here, yeah, well, so, and, so here we're, and, but the thing is like, and you know, Scorsese, uh, I don't know whether he is still a believer, but Scorsese did believe and he is certainly mm-hmm. inflected by a lot of this, um, uh, uh, Catholic teaching. Um, I didn't see that as a scene where somebody was meaningfully confessing. No. So I think that is a scene where it's kind of like, no, um, it's, I mean, that's an interesting, he's kind of just rolling with it, but he doesn't. Well, it's an interesting it. scene because you've got the priest there saying, we don't have to be sorry for something specific, but we can still be sorry. You know, it, it is an interesting try to, to, to square Catholicism to like a modern sensibility. Um, but, and, and it does do quite nicely to go with that whole thing of, you know, your legacy is gone. Like you, you were once somebody who everybody knew and you were once somebody who had pockets full of money. And now you're just that guy who is in the wheelchair with the strange young dude who drives you around because your family won't have anything to do with you. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's as if it continued any of his other gangster movies past the point that they stop. Hmm. And if that had been where most of the length was, I would have been fine with that. Hmm. But it's, the length of this movie is everywhere else. It's 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 hmm. all in setup. It's all in plot beats. Every one of these moments, and you're an editor, every one of these moments felt like the edit needed another pass. Huh. Like, I think that the Frank Sheeran character maybe isn't um, the most uh, charismatic uh, creation to well, be following okay. through an entire I mean, movie. That's, that's but, all right. Um, I'm fine with that. And, like, I, I do like that. You tell me you're going to put... 
2019 De Niro and 2019 Pacino in a movie, and I am automatically afraid. You know, because they have yeah, both been you saw doing righteous kill. They, they have both been doing cartoons of themselves for the longest time. Mm-hmm. I like that he is very muted when you know when you have Pacino doing as big a Pacino as Scorsese will allow him to do. Mm. Um, I, I do enjoy that, and I mean the De Niro of this movie is a really good De Niro, right? There's times where he's calculating. There's times where he's sad. There's a lot of times where he does so damn much um you know there's a phone call that he makes in this movie oh yeah no that's that was yeah that is amongst his that was great. best work ever yeah that is that's ever the best ever scene ever movie. you know um, um there there are there are converse this is a movie a lot of this movie is conversations yeah it's kind of it's not as showy as a lot of other scorsese movies it's a lot of sitting around and talking um, you know, there, there are some bigger moments and there are, there's, you know, there's certainly a lot of guns, but there's a lot of talking about the actual relationships in this world, mm. you know, and then the business of this world and, and the repercussions of it. Um, so in that respect, I like that De Niro, he does a lot of listening and when he talks, he's usually quite measured. See, I like, did he yell once in this movie? I don't think so, but uh, I also think what might be going on there is that he's a, my opinion was he was a bit of a lumbering oaf that he didn't have much going on behind his eyes, as opposed to something like raging bull where he is, you know, he's more of a beast, but you can tell like he, that character can't seem to shut his own brain off. Like in this one, I was almost getting this feeling that, um, uh, you know, he was a bit dumb well, he's and a working just, man, right? He's he's not a he's yeah. not a capo. He's 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 muscle. Yeah, and those guys tended to talk less, right? There, there's a reason why. When you- but also, even like not, I I don't know that he necessarily was even grasping any of what was going on. Like he was. Oh just- no, I never I never got that. I got that he understood everything that was going on, hmm. and that you know that he knew when to keep his mouth shut. Oh, right. Okay. Um, you know, okay. Let's go back to Pacino as well because we talked about him for a minute or two. Um, Again, he's a centerpiece of this movie. You hear him before you see him. Hmm. Um, what, you know, is is this is this a good Pacino? Is this a bad Pacino? Is this a stupid Pacino? I was not a fa- honestly. I'd say the two performances this year that have sabotaged the movies that they were in were both Pacino performances. I was not too keen on him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he maybe should have been rained down a little bit. And and yeah, and I did feel he was a bit difficult here. And that's just because I I do have a personal proclivity that's just against uh, a big Pacino. Like we've talked about Heat in the past. Yeah, and it's yeah. like Heat's a very fine movie. The reason why it will never hit greatness for me is because I just cannot get huge Pacino in that movie. Like it just it it pushes <laughs> me away. See, and that, um, I, I, so yeah, he was the hardest. Uh, like I was. I was giving the movie the benefit of being okay. I'm just going to imagine he's not doing it like that, like in order to keep me. But I mean, I like some of his I, scenes. I did like Pacino in his quieter moments. Like I like that he establishes. Um, he, he goes out of his way to. Oh yeah, no, the quieter moments with, with like with Peggy, with 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 the Irishman's daughter. Mm. You know, and like you know, they share ice cream and then mm. and they talk. You know, and he he likes you know kind of having. Kind of, he, he likes having her as like a surrogate daughter. Mm. He likes like being a part of Frank's family. Um, or even just, you know, when they, when he first sits down in prison with, um, with uh, Provenzano and he's like, well, mm. I'm here for fraud. You're here mm-hmm. for extortion. 
you made threats i didn't mm -hmm. you know so here we are so what are we that's why i still have my pension and you you know he's he's going about it now i mean there mm -hmm. are still some of those big showier moments like when he's like screaming at all his capos all at yeah. once i mean that that's that's where he's going full out mm -hmm. right but even just in the moments like in in a courtroom scene where he's like well you know with a gun, you run at it. With a with a knife, you run away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like like those kinds of things. I, I felt I, I liked what Pacino did in those. Mm -hmm. Just and kind then of in the Pacino. middle of it all, we have Joe Pesci. So I I was so happy when Pesci wasn't going to be in movies anymore <laughs> because there had been a while where it was not a gift, right? Like I saw Gone Fishing, um, you know, and Lethal Weapon of course, like episodes. It's the first time anybody's like, brought up Gone Fishing. Oh, and yeah, let it wash away with the path of time. Um, though, you know, I did like The Super, which was a movie he did in the 90s, which okay. like a remake of The Landlord. But anyway, uh, all that to say, I was so happy when I knew I wouldn't see Joe Pesci again. And I'm so happy now that he's back. Uh, 20 years not seeing him and him short. Also, I think the thing might be, he always, whether it was in his public appearances or in films, like, you know, he had that cocky, aggressive kind of vibe. He had the Joe Pesci vibe. There is no Joe Pe what we would think to be the Joe Pesci vibe, like in any of this performance. Like he seems to be extraordinarily kind and quiet and thoughtful and and genial, like exuding warmth. Yeah, I can't remember if I've ever seen um, Pesci exuding warmth. Yeah, and he's so good. So it was like, yeah, no, that was great. I mean, I, I, I I was worried. That, that's funny. I was like, worried. He's he, awesome. Again, kind of like kind of like. Uh, Hoffa, he wants Peggy to like him. So he like tells her jokes and he gives her money, mm. and, and, but he just, he can't do it. But it, it's so unusual and sweet to be in a gangster movie and see one of these guys like want to, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> to want to be open and kind with the family, with the family and then get rebuked. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, that's not a funny joke, Mr. 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 Pesci. Like, what, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. He, you're right. He was... He's a very, um, very, very potent counterweight to the craziness of Pacino in that he's not doing his usual shtick. He's usually the guy who's going to like slam the door yeah. on the guy's head or he's going to go off half cocked. He is the voice of reason in this movie at like every bloody turn. And it's incredible to see him in this role. Right, like, mm. like you said, like he's been very much off the grid for twenty years. Yeah, I think he straight he's up like, said that like he retired. Weeks. Yeah, yeah. So to bring him back in in this capacity, you know, to see him usually looking really proper, really quiet. Again, I don't think he raises his voice once. Mm. Is amazing, and he's used in the right amount. Like he's using the right dose. Maybe that was the the barometer for this for this mm. movie. Especially in the scene. No, maybe it doesn't need to be there. Like you said, I don't think it's ever going to get spoken of in terms of the best Scorsese and that's only because the man is like 50 years into his career now and I think it'll still be near the tops though but yeah no I think it will be especially with the monumental length I think that will give it a little bit of extra standing it will be thought of more kindly than silence even though silence probably has more to do with his personal psychology sure. um, and and his auteur status yeah. than, than this one will. Like it, it will be the, you know, Goodfellas I mean, Casino and Irishman. Like it will just be be clumped in with that. Somebody actually, wants but, me to ask me what Scorsese movie is this most like. It is very much the most like Casino. 
So yeah. take that for what it's worth. For me, that's not praise. You know, that's, that's like. Did you not like Casino? I, mean, I like good. I like Casino. I don't love Casino. No. I love Goodfellas. I love yeah. Hugo. I don't. Ooh, no, no, I love. Worst. No, no. Yeah. Um. I I love Wolf of Wall Street. I love The Aviator. Oh, I, pretty I, good. You know, I don't like there, the there's, Aviator. There's, um, this movie, it didn't have that kind of crackle that his movies usually do, and it also wasn't patient <laughs> enough in the way that something like Silence or Kundun or Last Temptation of Christ are in in that more. Um, reflective way so mm -hmm. it's Scorsese doing something in the middle that I'm not going to nail down to length because it's not like saying well if you made this movie shorter it would crackle more it just it seemed too sprawling mm. you know um, I also did know a bit about um, the whole um, era before I watched the movie so that bit. could have also helped in terms of not feeling too, but like, you know, I knew about crazy Joe Gallo. Crazy Joe Gallo was there to be killed. You know, right. We're, we're but over, it was, we're over and done with him in like 20 minutes in the scheme of the movie. Yeah. Like they, you know, they dip into him and then they're done. But so like in terms of, um, like history, yeah. that was a huge moment in gangland history. So right, for them to kind of hit, skip it and move across, it's like the, the, skipping across the JFK assassination. You're like, all oh, right, that happened. Yeah, I guess we don't need to dwell on it. We all know. Yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying. Within the framework of this movie, that's an, that's a strange thing to include because on the one hand, it really does say a lot of things. Like they use it as an excuse to paint how you clip. Uh, a boss like that. Right. They, they say like, you don't want to do it in front of their people, but if they're going to bring their people in, then you have to, cause then that shows them what the life does for them. Mm -hmm. And you have to take two guns and you want to make, you know, like it, they use that as an excuse. Right. Well, but that's also ne uh, uh, necessary. If you think about it thematically for the end of the Hoffa story, right? Yeah. Like that sort of intimation, which is not stated, but like, that's why we vanished Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, like but, but, they could have found his body anywhere. They didn't because that is sending a message message like to the family and to anybody but else. You could have done that. The, the, my, I guess my point is you could have done that with any, with any of the hits. Like Frank does a lot of hits. Over the you could, of but, movie. but that is a so, big, so, so that's what I'm saying to bring Gallo into this movie for 25 minutes, just to use him for explanation of the mechanics of the hit feels like, you know, you're putting a hat on a hat. Well, but it was also like a, like it was a big moment in mob history so to say like oh so hey you know this big thing that bigger. everybody be done with them in 20 minutes um i mean it's it's crazy because scorsese has been doing uh along with all the movies that he's been doing the last 15 20 years he's also done mini series for hbo like he he did that one series vinyl uh with mobby con valley um, and ray romano um don't it's it's not good yeah, uh, he also that. did boardwalk empire he has, i never finished but that was great been clearly interested in telling long form stories. And I do wonder, would this have been better as a miniseries? Like, has he gotten so enamored? If, if this is a guy who likes telling long stories, has he gotten so enamored with just pure, you know, glut of content that he wants to paint on a bigger canvas? And this was something that he probably should have told through HBO over five nights. Like, should he have chernobyl this shit? Or should he have said, no, sorry, damn the torpedoes. You're going to see my movie. Clear your night. I, yeah, I think he makes movies. 
I think that's how he's saying it. So I think these these other dips into TV a- were more just like, well, everyone's getting into TV. Maybe Let I me should. dip my toe in there. But his first, I think, knee-jerk thought will be like, can this be a movie? You know, I would never, ever, ever go so far as to say that this is any kind of like a bad movie. But it's so curious to me and in so many ways as, being said i mean know, anna paquin had like one line well i mean <laughs> anna paquin I, I wasn't sure whether to bring this up within the, the scope the scope of this show but anna paquin has nothing to do in this movie you know she's there the <laughs> literally entire, no no she has something to do she has to look yeah, and look a bit the, disappointed she's there the entire time um, but but whatever like that character also doesn't factor into this story, right? That's, that's not, a child. Well, well, that's not, not related okay, to the mob not, life. And that's on, indicative of her being ignored. Not the way that is telling this story. Well, it's it also the way this, doesn't. But, I think the guy, the way this guy lived his but life. That's the thing. No, no, no. Towards the end of this movie, we, first of all, we get the whole thing that, um, that Peggy, you know, the, 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 when she realizes, when she puts together very – in a nice little succinct moment, when she puts together that her father, if, if, he, if he didn't actually kill Hoffa, he was certainly involved. The second she puts that together, that's it. Like she, she wants nothing to do with him ever. And, you know, on, on a, cu- a couple occasions, we see her double down on that. Um, that tells us what her perspective on what her father is and has done is all about. I could have watched at least a one hour story about that from Peggy's perspective. Um, you know, Peggy's sister later on, when Frank is trying to appeal to her to talk about that, she vocalizes. She says, you have no idea what it was like for us knowing that we couldn't talk to you because of how big you would make some of these things and how, how much worse. I would love to see that story of these daughters and what it meant to have a father there, but have to largely be absentee. Uh, but you are seeing that. No, story. not in this movie. Uh, no. no, you are because what you are seeing is those daughters not saying a single word and always looking and seeing their father. So when, that shows that's showing visually the dominant force that he has on their life, that, that they cannot not, speak in front of him because she's entirely mute, like mute to the point where you're like, are they going to say anything? Like you're noticing it as a viewer because yes, they're too quiet around their dad. They're not supposed to say it. Like that is still the story that you're getting. Cause you were able to explain it right there. Like that was there, but you're saying you would have liked to have more like I would have, I would the ladies among well. themselves to be like, so dad's a real piece. And then like, well, and, and everything deal about with their it. Stuff like how there. do they grow up? What kind of men do they associate with? How does a, how does a girl go from watching? Yeah. Like, what happens when a girl watches her father stomp the living shit yeah. out of a shopkeeper who pushed her and then square that with, Oh my God, he killed a surrogate yeah. father figure in my life. Yeah. And I, you, you know, know what? Give me like a few more scenes with that. Maybe if well, not a whole movie. you're an empathetic viewer. And I think that's what you want is like that little extra moment of empathy. But I think it's a movie about someone that doesn't have any empathy nor care about anyone else what in their circle, even this, the daughter. Sure, so like that, what the, I'm the saying movie is has the has same. told this story at least half a dozen times already in his career. The story of the daughter who watches her mob father, he has never told once. Mm. And I would, I would kill to see that story. You know, you have Anna Paquin in this movie to sit and quietly judge as if we're not already sitting and quietly judging 
and then for her to say, what did you do? You know, like that—that that is a complete waste of an Oscar winner. But remember who also won an Oscar the year she won an Oscar, and it was someone who did a mute performance, right? So <laughs> maybe Anna Paquin is yeah. just really good at selling with her sure. eyes that you're looking at your you're looking at your father. Um, and you're I, I not do. I, I do have. I do have one nit to pick with this movie, and I usually don't like to do this, but I, but I do have to ask you: mm. Who is Frank talking to? Uh, oh, well, that doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I think it, does. It, it could be. No, I, I mean, I think I was assuming himself um, because he was a bit stuttery, like right off the top. There was a moment where I think he was halfway through saying a line that is and a then it really cuts to him device. in, the, uh, in the, the, um, the old folks home and he... I forget. It's like a fragment. He says another fragment or it starts over or he makes a jump. And that sold to me that's like, oh, he's probably just talking to himself. Like, we don't even know. Um, now, maybe that's a way. Actually, no, this is unlike. I was going to say maybe that's a way for the movie to be able to buttress its claims and be like, we know that maybe Frank Sheeran's um, stories weren't real. And this I is mean, why we're doing it. But like in a once upon a time in America kind of way. But yeah, that is very much the, not what the movie was doing. But yes, I well, figured I mean, that like, it doesn't matter who he's talking to. He's I, probably himself. Well, no, I think it does matter because Scorsese in his movies in the past, he's, he's you know, he's used voiceover to great. Uh, yeah, success. Yeah. He's used talking to the audience to great success. Sometimes combination of both. Sometimes it's mostly one and then kind of turns into the other. Cool. Neat. Awesome. He is not specifically doing either. When Frank is speaking aloud, he is talking off camera. He's not looking at us. Yeah. yeah. He's looking at someone. Right. We have no idea who. And then the rest of the time he's doing VO. Yeah. You know, okay. Who the shit is he talking to? I don't like. He's not just telling stories to himself. It, no, he could be. Because even with even with that angle, that is nuts. He's an old man. I don't care. <laughs> That's insane. Well, that, that is the most. Also, that is the craziest device I could possibly think of in a Scorsese movie. Really? Because no, like, uh, uh, yeah, I figured you know he's an old man. His brain could be getting a bit enfeebled. Um, it could also explain like, well, why does this guy who kept this secret for 50 years suddenly just blabbing away? It's like, oh, it's because his faculties aren't quite there anymore. Like, Not because I suddenly decided to unburden myself about Jimmy Hoffa in front of this priest. Now, that being said, he could have been talking to the priest. But he's not. We no, he's not. Like that, we don't. That you, was the thing I thought. We don't I know who waiting. he's talking to because there is no shot of I who he's talking to. I spent three hours and twenty nine minutes waiting for that card to hit the table of who the shit he exactly. was talking to. I'm so like, he could be talking to anybody, daughter. or he's Maybe talking it's to the nobody. FBI. Maybe it's the priest. Maybe it's that right. nurse. Some somebody. Right. It's so those nobody. are your two choices. Are you kidding me? It's it's everybody. It's anybody. It's or it's nobody. nobody. It's anybody or it's nobody. It's not anybody in the it, any of those characters. Film, it doesn't it's matter. Nobody. And if it's the daughter, if it's terrible. the priest, if it's anybody or uh, anyone else, no. it's like no. He's still no, saying the same. He is talking. Shit. He is talking. Like if you're saying we don't. If we don't. If we never see it, he is talking to nobody, and that is a terrible decision. He's again. I mean, if, that movie's or, or even yeah. he was talking to us. Like it's so easy. Just turn the camera just this much. Have him look at us. You've done it before. You have no bones about it. Leo spent two thirds of a of a movie five years ago yeah. doing exactly that. No, I think if he wanted to 
why have him not talk to us but speak aloud? So I think he's a bit old. Uh, and, and so is the director of this movie. Um, oh, we end Zane. the matinee cast with a Sorry, Marty. Something not sorry. He's had a rough month. Um, something tangible or intangible from this movie, if you oh could take God. away and keep, you could. Uh, Michael Lane, what would be your souvenir? From the Irishman? Uh, the souvenir, um, that scene uh, where he's on the phone with Hava's wife. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice when it was starting how amazing it was, but then by the end of it, it's like, damn, that was good. It's, it's, um, it's don't even know that I could vocalize about it, but it's just no, like, no, it's, it's, it ended and it was like, oh, yeah, that was good. And it's, it, it, feels, it feels unique. So my my souvenir is, uh, I'd love some bread dipped in wine. I've never, oh, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. I've never seen that done before. Clearly, really? I'm sure, I'm, no, I'm sure. I'm sure Scorsese has, but I've never seen that. Oh, I mean, in the um, movie, I'm not. No, sure. No, just in general, in life, I've never. I've never and actually, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I want it now. Yeah, kind of, you know, I, I kind of wish I was. Especially if you're cheaper. I, yeah, exactly. So I definitely want some bread. I want some wine. We rate here on the Matinee Cast on a scale of one to four stars. Mike Lane, I know you don't like rating movies, but you're gonna. What would you give? The Irishman on a scale of one to four. Out of four, I would I would comfortably say three. Okay. Because uh, I felt Casino was about a three out of four, and uh, and this felt about Casino-ish. Okay. Um, I might be inclined to kick it up to three and a half, given the monumental length, obviously, and the achievement, and blah, blah, blah. But I will reserve that until after, let's say, a second viewing. Okay. So right now, I'd say four. Oddly enough, I am also on um, a three. Um, which I know that oh, sounds sorry, strange no. considering how, how we disagreed with it. Um, <laughs> most of the other Scorsese movies I've seen have been in the three and a half to four range. So for Scorsese, if I'm grading on that curve, this is a sure good movie, not a great movie. And I, like, I did enjoy it for what it is, even if I have flawed problems with it. And mm. I want people to see it. It's just it, like I have all kinds of just threads that I'm pulling on with this movie, including its length. So, mm. so for me, it's, it's, it's a, a cold three, like it's like this close to dropping down, but, um, but it's only because most of his other movies are like so much better mm. than this, that a three is kind of like, you know, it, it's like he comes home with a report card full of A's and then there's like one C, mm. you know? Um, hey, listen, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you think that this movie is incredible and this is like an A-plus movie that, that's like one of the best of the year, one of the best of the decade. Maybe you think that we're both wrong and this is a terrible movie. Oh, oh you're talking cool. to someone else right now. Ryan at the matinee.ca, <laughs> Twitter, or I'm matinee underscore CA. See, it's weird when I'm doing it. And I'm looking at you. What? Who? Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, facebook.com slash darkmatinee, Ryan at the matinee.ca. What do you think of Martin Scorsese's The Irishman? We will be right back after this. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side. Hey, we're back. He's Mike. I'm Ryan. It's Matinee Cast 234. We had a very lengthy discussion off Mike. There probably could have been a whole other show, but uh, you had to be here to hear it. So nuts to you, people. Um, we've been talking about The Irishman, a movie that uh, we both like. Mike seems to like it a little bit more than I do, but um, there are a lot of other, there are the thumbprints and fingerprints of a lot of other movies uh, all over The Irishman. Start us off, Mr. Lane. Where did you uh, find your brain you know, drifting over the course of two hours and 29 minutes, or two hours and 29 minutes, three hours and 29 minutes of uh, Scorsese Irishman. 
Once Upon a Time in America, I thought of that a few times because there's an instance. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just from purely superficial reasons, it's another gangster epic. Mm -hmm. It's another movie that is, I think, three and a half hours long in its current version. Um, De Niro also Yeah, it focuses on De Niro over a span of generations, um, only it has the um, uh, original old school de-aging, which was called aging. (laughs) (laughs) And like, so he... He goes from twenty-year-old De Niro to like old man De Niro, but it's because of old man makeup Funny and thing, because actually, he played twenty as thirty. Tech in Irishman did not bother me. Uh, like I, I should, yeah. I should start by saying de-aging actually doesn't bother me in general. I just, I just kind of go with it, but well, it, it, it never really threw. Well, sure, yeah. The only you, thing that actually did throw me was the blue contacts that that De Niro was wearing. Those, those. Didn't do you think they were contacts? Yeah, I think that was, was a digital tweet. That, that, that didn't yeah. seem right to me. That um, was, that was well, the hard part. Oh, see, that's funny. I'm going to conflate those two things okay. because that's what I thought was kind of working about is, yes, I, I also did not notice the de-aging. Um, by notice, I say like, because I went to, well, like I went to see the Ang Lee movie, um, Jimmy Man, and it was also um, like you could, you noticed sh- the, that stuff, the, yeah. the, fa- the facial smoothing and like it, it seemed a bit uncanny and not right. And uh, there was another example like there's, very recently, there's right? There's been lots now. No, but like just within the last couple of, oh, oh, sorry, I just saw this Terminator movie. So right. they, um, they, they, they de-age, they de-age um, uh, yeah, there's a the, they got a they de-age um, Linda Hamilton um, and uh, uh, have a have a moment. Um, wow. They de-age Arnold for okay. a, a shot, but then they're also you know yeah. old for the rest of it. Um, and those ones again, there are moments where it's like that looks a bit too clean, that looks a bit too nice. There's something subconsciously that's not quite there. I never felt in The Irishman a moment where subconsciously something felt wrong, and that's I think great credit to the effects work that they were doing there. But the thing that makes these um, uh, CG people stand out as being fake tends to be the eyes. It's the eyes where you really notice the uncanny. You really notice like, oh, this is made up. Like this computer is doing this. And maybe the reason why the de-aging did not have a deleterious effect or you didn't notice it is because they didn't mess with the eyes except to brighten and give De Niro these like beaming blue Irish eyes that truly do seem to give his shape a slightly different face do make me think a bit more Irish than a bit more Italian. Like (laughs) it, 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 it really worked. And because it was just that, like, well, we're just giving a bit of tint to the eyes, but we're not, uh, uh, you know, lifting the eyes a little bit or, or doing something to exaggerate the, the youth that, that maybe that had. So in once upon a time in America, they, 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 they make up everybody to make them look old. Yes. As, as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now, you know, you could look at it and say, like, it's an excuse of, or it's an, an example of bad um, age makeup because it's one of those ones you see people when they're old and you're like, well, that doesn't look real. That looks a bit macabre. But that's also a movie where, like, well, maybe they're supposed to look a bit macabre because maybe this old age stuff yeah. um, is not quite happening the way it's, we think it's, it's happening. It's crazy. So it's, it, it's one of those things that Hollywood has always kind of struggled with, right? Like, to tell a story that long. It, it's, it's super it, long. Yeah, We've, it's, it's never it's never been able to really settle yeah. on. Well, we should get different actors, or we should make them up and then take them with a wake up. Or now we've got digital technology. It's it, it, you know you. I want stories that span over 
that much time, but it's like, how do you tell? Oh yeah, well I mean yes, yeah, so and that's the thing. It's also um, it's hard it's, to find. It's been that far too long. Story to tell, but I do. Yeah, no, that it's, is a good example. Epic, good soundtrack. And I remember, like the first time romantic. I saw it, it felt really, really long, and I actually thought it was very uh, ugly and unlikable, and I didn't quite see what people thought of it but that was also a screening at like the the cinematheque and i didn't know that it was almost four hours long and there was no intermission so oh, it just kind of pummeled you all the way through <laughs> now that being said they have done a fairly recent restoration not a there's still a full restoration i think waiting in the wings because it played in Cannes a couple years ago mm-hmm. actually scorsese i think uh, um produced that cut that had like all the footage they could find and was as restored as it could uh, blah, as it could possibly be and then whatever ended up coming out on i think blu-ray is shorter than that one that played at Cannes because huh. i think they had a rights issue but the current one that is out on blu-ray is restored to a longer version than has even existed up the until this point okay. and when i last watched that which was maybe two years ago like just riveted just it's been, just blown I, away I've seen like it one time a so long time good. ago it's been far um, too long and it is kind of ugly and okay. unlikable but it, it, it was really good. I do have to revisit it. The, the one that came to mind the fastest when I was watching The Irishman um, I mean I, I think it came to mind like mid-movie um, was that The Irishman seems to be in some ways Scorsese trying to paint the underworld a little bit more accurately and saying that these men you know, as glamorous as this all seems, these men die alone. And as glamorous as this all seems, these men are toxic. And as men, as glamorous as this all seems, these men are going to be very, very isolated from those that they should be caring deepest for. In some ways, it seems like something of an apology for the mythos that he helped build in the way that we now understand it. You know, like the, the, the mob movie as it stands, or the mob story as it stands right now, owes more to Scorsese and The Sopranos than it does to, like, you know, Public Enemy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, when was the last time I saw somebody trying to apologize for something that they helped build up? Well, thought about 1992. Thought about... Unforgiven? Yes, I did. Thought Mm -hmm. about Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood. Um, And to a lesser degree, Gran Torino. um, But but especially Unforgiven because it centers on the cowboy movie and Mm. centers on William Money being a guy who's broken down by life, who's made mistakes, who's got to go back and who now really, really repents on who he was, on the legend that he was a part of. And, uh, you know, we can be here for quite some time talking about what has happened with Clint Eastwood since 1992. But this movie, um, as it stands, I think has actually aged incredibly well. And it's not a short movie either. It's long-ish at two hours. And 220 some, or something? Yeah, 220. Yeah. Um, it's a really good Western. It's it's a really – I actually think it's a really good gateway film for Westerns because um, it's still – follows yeah, the classic – It was one of the first ones I saw. Yeah, it still follows the classic structure of – slow, long, lengthy builds to one gunfight and then a quick resolution versus a lot of the more modern ones are a lot more action heavy. Um, and, and, and yeah, has that, that thing of somebody later on in their career looking back and, mm-hmm. and kind of, kind of examining, I, I think the two movies would make a really good double feature. Hmm, it would. Yeah. I mean, um, though it's interesting there because, uh, um, because yes, if if Unforgiven is a movie where Clint Eastwood is sort of you know confronting his prior cinematic legacy, um, and as I mentioned, you know almost a, a Grand Torino in the same way, 
in both instances, they still end up climaxing exactly the same way as the cinematic legacy that he's already <laughs> built up. Whereas in Irishman, no, it's like now it does seem to have this extra little coda, this ability to now let's take these characters to their old age and get right to the end of that. So just with that perspective, it seems like there's maybe a bit more growth oh, in sure. what Scorsese is doing here. But that being said, like... I don't think I've ever nested. I mean, apart from like, I guess, money and glitz, which is the the basic uh, definition of like glamour. Um, I never thought his other mob movies to be that glamorous. I mean, yes, like it's a it's a lovely family. They seem to care about each other until they shoot each other. But like, I mean, as awesome as Goodfellas is, like, I don't want to be any. Those people, especially like the last half of that movie, being but, like but Henry Hill. Oh my God! No, that, thank you. No, but I mean everybody. <laughs> um, like I don't. It, it just doesn't seem um, super glamorous. But yes, in the same way that like I love the De Palma Scarface. The De Palma Scarface is not glamorous to but, me I mean, in that, any way. That's, but that's every, people, you can watch it and be like, their head. like there's a lot of people who come away from those movies and think, cool. You know, like that's there's a lot of people who see them. And and they, that's what they want. Sure, and, and, I, mean, I think they guys, might still get the same from this too. You know, maybe, but I I feel like you know, every, there, every time you, there was a killing, there would be a couple I mean, you get chuckles to, like, the in the last audience. You know? Thirty minutes of this movie is old gangsters dying alone. Mm. You know, and, and not to mention the fact that every gangster who we see, we actually see it's like the text of how they died. Mm. You know, I thought, I, I oh did yeah, that, no, that he's always been yeah. Okay. Um, my other one uh, is um, uh, again also discussed a bit um, that 1992 Hoffa, um, and for just a couple more reasons that I would uh, uh, get into it. I mean, it's interesting to watch both. Of these movies as biopics or stories about Jimmy Hoffa. What's interesting is that Hoffa, the 92 movie, is from a David Mamet script and it almost assumes enough familiarity with Hoffa that its scenes are staged more like classical drama and, and dance around what it's supposed to be about rather than bluntly telling you because you should already know this well, that's the whereas thing. I, I, the, the Irishman like has a bit more of like helpfully guiding you through and explaining like what's actually going on instead of dancing around well, I think in that's metaphor. the difference in that's the difference in terms of time um, right like the the, the David Mamet um, I, I think didn't uh, Danny DeVito direct that he movie? did yes so so the the Mamet DeVito movie that arrived in 92 Two. that's happening just over just under 20 years after Hoffa disappeared the target hmm. audience for that movie knows who Jimmy Hoffa is it's, it's oh it's, certainly well you even know, yeah now you really have to spell it out because the average moviegoer for yeah. the Irishman they'll know they, they might know who that that Hoffa is that that guy who disappeared yeah. but they won't know why or how or what he what his impact was they won't know that he you know that, that he went toe to toe with Robert Kennedy and it, it's crazy because I mean they're both in our lifetime so we would think you know yeah well, it's a different I know they're outside our lifetime oh, he, no, no 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 or, sorry what movies are inside are you? Our, both movies are in our life. Both movies are in our lifetime, and by the time you get to the Hoffa one in ninety, what did we say? Ninety two. Ninety. It's ninety two. Yeah. I, I, I hate that. I keep tripping over that. You were watching dramas in ninety two. Hmm. You know, like it's not like it's not like you got to fourteen years old or thirteen years old, and you were only watching movies about dinosaurs and robots. Hmm. You know, I, I assume. Um, same thing. Like now, I didn't see it when I was younger, but I, I was aware of it. I wasn't yeah, yeah. the age, but I was aware of it. Um, and that, like, and that's the thing. Now, it was meant for people who were older than I, 
right? Who to, to fully get the full complexity and nuance or whatever. So it was really yeah. meant for more people who were 20 oh. in 1992. Somebody who's 20 at least in 1992, if not older, they know the Jimmy Hoffa bullshit. Yeah. They've read all about that. But it's also Versus like somebody who's 20 now, yeah. who like the like the nurse in this movie. Who's that guy standing next to the little girl? Yeah. Also, like uh, uh, David Mamet can be a bit of a, a pesky person, mm. uh, and so you also get the feeling that a lot of it is kind of like obfuscating it in with the intention of obfuscating it. Like yeah. I am making a scene, so you don't really know what it's about, but if you know the subtext, then you'll get it. Like there's there's a bit of that smartness dripping off of it. This movie, I actually thought um, had a lot of. Memetian scenes, uh, you know, well, with, with, within it. You because, know, like, well, one of the things that was always kind of uh, 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 key to what Mammoth brought to how basically low lives speak to each other is that um, not repetitive, but just a, a very a um, a cyclical pattern way of speaking short clipped sentences or phrases that you maybe don't understand because you're on the outside but getting repeated yeah. over and over again. What's also interesting about this Hoffa movie is I don't know that Danny DeVito quite had the right ear for Mammoth's style pattern. Oh, okay. So there are times where you're just like, you're trying. You can, right. like, you can yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The other reason why Hoffa's an interesting watch with this is – if you are looking at both of them as the um, as a Hoffa a biography or a story, they both are stories that are being told through or not through the perspective, but like from a um, someone who's just on the outside. Oh, so in the uh, Irishman, it's Jesus Christ Superstar. Is that how Jesus Christ Superstar goes? I've actually it's never from the seen POV Jesus. Of Judas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, the Hoffa movie is Devito, and so every scene is kind of Devito hanging out in the back, watching as like an amalgamation of other friends, other coworkers, other whatever. So he is a fictional person, an amalgamation of who just happens to be standing around watching this Hoffa story, The Irishman whether one wants to take Frank Sheeran's word or not as to whether he was involved in this story. He yeah. might also be a fictional yeah, participant yeah, yeah. in all of no, these things. No, he's a real dude. But becomes like, no, no, but, no, but he's definitely he's a real dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, uh, but, um, but yeah, he is, the, he is the side character that you end up watching yeah. it all through. And, um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it's puzzling. It's like there's, both of these movies both seem to be about Hoffa, but both distancing themselves from actually getting into the head of Hoffa by just keeping us grounded with a, not a dope, but just like a, <laughs> a side character that just happens. It, it's, that's an interesting thing. And um, the other thing that I, uh, there was one thing missing from the Irishman that I thought kind of would have added to it. Um, when Hoffa gets released from prison and then decides to take his union um, back. leadership back, uh, the thing is, part of his agreement to get out of prison, whether he agreed to it or not, I guess is up for uh, questioning, but um, part of him getting out of prison was he agreed to not run for union leadership for something like 10 years. <laughs> so the fact that he got out and then was just like, screw you, and then went right back to it, like that's just one more reason why maybe everybody's getting a bit uncomfortable with him, but also gives him a bit more of a, like as the Hoffa character would feel a bit more frustration as to why he needs to go to these ends. By not having that detail, it kind of just makes Hoffa seem 
stubborn yeah. in his stubborn persistence of of pushing through, almost unreasonably stubborn. Kind of like, do you remember Carlito's way? Did you ever see Carlito's yeah, yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, he's near the end. He started to feel less like Jimmy Hoffa and more like Sean Penn and Carlito's way. Like <laughs> gotcha. you got a bit too much power. You need to just stop doing cocaine. And I'm telling you in as many words as I can that we're gonna kill you. Just stop. <laughs> like it felt like that. And it was like you know if you got oh, that the man. point across that he just really he's not prevent or he's being prevented yeah. from fulfilling that then maybe we would have helped him um, them. but anyway yeah okay that's that, that's a good one to include as well as, as somebody like you know because that, that's the thing is that i feel like this movie while it is very much a jimmy hoffa story it's also very much the, the frank story and and you know we, we oh, kind of well, we've yeah. got to pull away from him a lot so if you're interested in like more about what jimmy hoffa was all about then going on to that one would be a good one so you know i i think that the the obvious if somebody were to go down the scorsese road we mentioned this during the main review the obvious pairing with this movie is casino um make that movie what you will uh i'm, I'm enjoying it more as time goes on and i rewatch it more um i'm actually going to go catch a screening of it at lightbox because it's one of the scorsese movies i never saw on a big screen but cool. um as far as an actual <laughs> film to pair this with that is not scorsese when's the last time you watched donnie brasco in the theater opening weekend. Wow. Okay. 1997 um, might be the last great. Opening day. Yeah, might be Friday. the last great Al Pacino movie. 97 Pacino and um, Johnny Depp before he became uh, a cartoon uh, version of himself. Yeah. Sorry if Johnny Depp. Yeah. yeah. A lot of actors becoming cartoons of themselves yeah. on this episode. Uh, Michael Madsen, Bruno Kirby, and Haish. Um, uh, Michael Madsen? At, at, at her. At her the, the peak of her Haitianist, um, Mike Newell, who would go on to direct a whole bunch of Harry Potter movies. Um, <laughs> so that's funny. Cause I'm at not the time kidding. that's, no, no, I know that's what he did. Like, so I, yeah, like I said, I saw Donnie Brasco like opening night. So it was a movie I was aware of. Like I was 18. Um, and it is and a good mob was, movie just for somebody just looking to watch a crime movie. It kicks. was fine. When that movie was coming out, like I knew of Mike Newell because he was a British director. And so him doing Donnie Brasco was like, oh, this Brit is like making this mob movie. Like how quaint. And then, yes, now it's like, well, looking back over his entire career, this guy did some Harry Potter movies. So I guess that's it. I'm like... I've almost forgot. That's like the afterthought of this. Oh yeah, after Donnie Brasco and no one really. Then he um, did these Harry Potter movies. You know, like, it's, it's, a, it's it's another movie that uh, it's another story that spans over um, a great deal of time. It's another movie where did it? How long was it? Do you um, like because it was an investig. Yeah, because he he's yeah like he's Donnie, Donnie Depp's undercover with um, for like years. It's with, like, it's, I guess it's it is not years. it's not yeah, it's yeah. not generations the same way yeah. that the it's Irish not like Johnny Depp is. has a gray mustache at the yeah, end. Yeah, no, no, no. But, it, but, it, but it's but it's for some time. It's again like it's um it's Pacino doing things a little bit more dialed down. Like he, you know, he's not quite heat. Pacino. True, he's not quite. You know, Devil's it, it Advocate came. To, to, it came right in between. Yeah. Heat and Devil's Advocate, yeah. as a matter you know, of fact. So more, yeah, like, it was him a bit like a working mid level guy. He's got to watch people you know, ascend above him the same way that he does. Like in the Irishman, he's got to like deal with that kind of unrest. Have you seen it multiple times or more than once? Uh, yeah. Like, like not recently, but I, it's one okay. I, I've watched, I've watched several times. It, it does hold up. It's, okay. it's, it's really well told. It's got, it's got scenes that have some, some really good tension, some scenes where you don't know who's going to, who's going to make it out. That kind of thing. It's, is um, there a particularly good, like gunfight or ambush or something? No, you're not gunfight. That makes it sound like an action scene, <laughs> but I feel that there is one, 
there may have been one really impressive moment in there. There's a few. I mean, but like a low key impressive moment, like you yeah, know, they were sitting around the kitchen table, and then everyone some, died. I mean, even there, there are like you know, I kind of skimmed past that, but there, there are those moments in The Irishman too. Like, there's a great scene where uh, Joe Hoffa gets into her car, and she's about to yeah, turn the key, good. and she actually holds. And like, I don't know about you, but like in that moment, I was like, oh. You know, like oh, oh yeah, no, that's, that, that was yeah. well, like just the the the, act, the pace of that moment and her her hesitance yeah. to put her hand. Well, on and you know what, and that also there's just, there's those kinds of moments all over Donnie Brasco. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah, that can speak to uh, that can speak to a good directorial hand. You know, mm-hmm. someone that knows to just take a step back and give you a moment of suspense it's, and tension. I mean, it's what I like about Brasco as well is that it's not showy, right? Like that, that was the thing was that in those in I the do 90s, remember it wasn't showy. No, but in the nineties, every every mob movie was trying to be was trying to be Goodfellas, and you know, like including Casino mm. was trying to be was trying to be Goodfellas again. This was a movie that a, that fell into that space of time in between Goodfellas and The Sopranos, and was like. You know, these guys were a lot more work-a-day. Like Donnie, you know, um, hmm. Lefty, the Al Pacino character, he wouldn't have lived in like this really nice, like lavish place. He's living in a shitty little apartment. Hmm. So when we go over there, we're going to go to the shitty apartment that's done up in a really tacky way and Lefty's going to be in one of those track suits. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing. Those kinds of touches of, of a really well-told story are all over this movie. Yeah. So I think that they could make a nice little double feature. Um, for sure. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up, you didn't have any others, right? No, no, that was it. The other thing I was going to bring up is, um, the movie because the Irishman spends so much time talking about, um, Hoffa and unions is that I, I, I was like, Oh, what are the union movies? You know, what are the, what are the movies that talk about? Like, like those, like, you know, the, the strike for conditions and that kind of thing. Cause you kind of. I thought you meant like depression or something like no, that. No, 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 no. So the the two that I thought for of, glory. Yeah, the two that I thought up off the top of my head were Norma Ray and Harlan County, USA. Um, okay, Harlan yeah. County, of course, is a doc. Uh, Norma Ray is not. Um, you know, I mean, now the, a lot of people are working nowadays that aren't part of the union. They have no mm. idea what they're about or why they do what they do or why they are what they are and the ups and downs and that kind of thing and why management doesn't like them, why now we're in an age where they're a lot rarer than they were for a while. And it's funny, you know, because both I'd say the Irishman and that Hoffa biopic as movies about this dude, like both of them seemed very unconcerned with expressing like what a union is, what his yeah. tasks are, what it actually is that he's, you know. Well, they they, I, they both do a good job of the propaganda side of union, right? Like they, they both oh, do yeah. a good job of. Oh, like, my God. Do, of, see this man at Hoffa. Yeah. Like it is yeah, so. Of the rally and the, like, you know, and the, the working the summer, man. You know? Yeah. Whose side are you on? You know, like, yeah. like that. Like all those things are very much all over the Irishman and all over Hoffa. But the whole idea of, you know, uh, why are. Why are these unions a thing? Why are they in a fight? What do they actually do? Like neither one of those movies are really concerned mm. about it. Whereas stuff like Harlan County and Norma Ray really get into the protection right. that they afford, the reason why we got to this point, yeah, yeah. the reason why companies don't like them, all on and on and on. And I suppose on the waterfront would also be yeah. like oh, that's, unions and and you get some mobster action. Yeah, that, and well. that yeah, that's another that that would be a great one to go to in terms of like kind of the, the middle ground of the two yeah. and why they why they afford them, you know, and, and, and the challenges that face them. So I think you know a lot of good movies that we've mentioned today that you could go on to and 
when uh, you know when I, I, I if you're one of the people who's going to be lucky enough to see this movie in a theater, and I do think that if you're going to see this movie to get the full effect, you should see it in a theater. Um, you know, if you have it available to you, just because there's so many who don't see it in a theater. If not, in two weeks, enjoy your Netflix. Yeah, I mean, really, like Make everyone saw, get yeah, coffee. Everyone saw Goodfellas, and yeah. most people saw Casino, like you know, at, at home, home on yeah, video. Yeah, turn out the lights. Yeah, take take the phone off That's the hook it. and the plastic off the couch. Put the phone away. Turn out the lights. Yeah. Then you're done. Exactly, and that is episode two thirty four of the Matinee Cast. Uh, anything you want to plug that you've got coming up? Any projects? Um, I uh, edited a movie called Assassinaut. It's like a kids in space, um, weird gory fantasy do they talk um, about unions uh they do not um but it is surprisingly political in mm. its way um it's it's really offbeat but i kind of like it uh anyway uh it is, did a couple of festivals earlier this year and it is now out on the blu-ray um mm. it was released by uh, uh um uh, the Dread Central label, okay. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dread. So um, that is out there and also available, I believe, on the iTunes. I will include um, a link to the to the movie and to places okay. that people can get it in the show notes. Yeah, and then there's another one, a uh, indie Canadian drama that I cut called um, Trouble in the Garden that I believe is on Apple TV. Okay, right. I will include a link for that as well. Um, and then there will be the, uh, so the George Clooney Catch-22 miniseries. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what when that is going to be released on DVD. It's currently streaming on Hulu, but when that comes out on DVD, there's like a 40-minute behind-the-scenes documentary, and, and I worked on that as well. Nice. Yeah. Busy uh, man. Yeah. Oh, and I'm one of our... I'm surprised you could work in being here to talk about the show for some time today. I know. And one of our uh, X-Files featurettes, um, not one that I edited, uh, but one that... Uh, uh, my colleague edited um, called the Scully Effect, which is all about how Agent Scully and the X Files ended up inspiring a lot of women to enter STEM. Mm. Um, and you can actually find that one on YouTube. Uh, it was openly available. It was like a, a Fox thing, but it made the short list for the Clio Awards. So uh, there are the Clio Awards in about two weeks in Los Angeles, and uh, it uh, yeah, we made a short list. Links so that's kind of neat. Um, that's it for me. Thank you for coming by. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled. I like two, three, four because it's only like oh, know, two, three, yeah, four. yeah. There we go. There we go. It's, it's like I planned it that way. I'd love to say that I did, but I really. Um, it's the kind of combination so an idiot would yeah. have on his luggage. <laughs> thank you so much, Mike Lane, for coming back. Come on back, everybody, on Monday, November 25th. We're gonna keep this little Netflix train going because I think on episode 235 we're gonna talk about Marriage Story the new film by Noah Baumbach, also showing on Netflix, which is also showing on a very small screens. Um, I would just tell you where to find Mike on Twitter, but you can't. Um, That's true. Exactly. My site, though, is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app. Everywhere you can find a podcast, my show is there. If you can't find it, let me know where you're looking for it, and I'll make sure it is put there. Feedback on this episode, on The Irishman, on any of the movies that we mentioned, can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts before you go? No. All right. For Mike, <laughs> I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.